This is God's holy and infallible word. Uh, God says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then Acts 2, 38 and 39, this is in Peter's great sermon uh, at Pentecost. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And I want to read one that's not on the screen also, just before the Colossians one, and it's... um, It's the end of Acts 16, which I'm going to refer to in the sermon. Um, This is the story of Lydia, and then later in the chapter of the Philippian jailer. This is Acts 16, verse 31, when the Philippian jailer was asking about salvation. And they replied, the disciples, believe in the Lord Jesus And you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And then Colossians 2, 11 through 13. This is one of the Apostle Paul's letters, uh, Colossians. In him... You were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave us all our sins. So we're going to look at a number of these what I think are kind of the most common questions about infant baptism. They're not going to be on the screen. I normally have stuff on the screen for you to follow along. But if it's helpful for you to write stuff down, there are little sermon notes, uh, papers throughout the pews. If you want to grab one and jot stuff down, you can. Uh, So it's going to be listening and writing if you wish. So the first sort of question or even sometimes an objection to infant baptism is that there is no explicit command to baptize children in Scripture. Where's, where's the verse? And that's true. There is no text that says in so many words, baptize your children. If there was one, I would have read it in, for before the sermon, but none of those were said. But... Here's the thing. There are a number of beliefs and practices that we deduce from the broad sweep of Scripture. You know, one of them is uh, the Bible nowhere says women are to take the Lord's Supper. The language is never there. And there's many places where the Lord's Supper is talked about. But it makes sense. We deduce that from the broad sweep of Scripture. Another bigger thing than that is the doctrine of the Trinity. 
It's so critical to our faith that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one God. It's so central that you can't be a Christian without believing in the Trinity, and yet the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And there's also no single text that says, that commands baptized children. Now, of course, there's no text that says children should not be baptized either. And you'd almost need a text like that to do away with 2,000 years of biblical history. Because since the time of Abraham, we read in Genesis, since the time of Abraham, children were invited into the people of God through a sacrament. And back then it was circumcision. Ancient Israel was a male-ruled society, and so girls were included under the males of the family. In the New Testament, circumcision was done away with, and Jesus made baptism the initiation into the church. Our Colossians 2 text shows that move from circumcision to baptism. And if you look at the sweep of Scripture, this makes sense that it wasn't done away with. It didn't stop in the New Testament. If anything, God's grace is broader and bigger in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament. Not narrow, right? In, in the Old Testament, he really focused especially on the nation of Israel and that ethnic group. But then it got wide open, all nations, tribes, and tongues. So it wouldn't, if, if that's sort of the trend that God's grace is broader and bigger, not narrower, it doesn't make sense that a whole group of people like children would be excluded now if you think about that, that sweep of Scripture. And so the answer to this question that I would give about wanting a specific text is one, some doctrines we have and, and practices are proved from the broad sweep of Scripture, not from a single text. And secondly, this question could be turned around and we could ask the same thing of our Baptist brothers and sisters. Where's the proof that says babies no longer receive a sacrament when they clearly did in the Old Testament? A second question, uh, objection, you could say. Bapti I've heard baptizing babies is a new trend, a new development in the church. And someone actually asked me that uh, question once. Why, when and why did some people and some churches start baptizing babies anyway? When did that start? There, there's a little bit of an assumption that this is a new thing, but uh, the reality is that babies were always baptized throughout the history of the church. It's only relatively recently that a whole wing of the church stopped doing that. There's some sign in early church history, a few hundred years after Jesus, that some people were not baptizing babies, but it was very rare. The Catholic Church always did and still does. The Orthodox Church, which started around 1000 AD, always did and still does. In most churches that left the Catholic Church during the Great Reformation, Baptized babies at that time and still do. Reformed, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, 
Anglican. There was one branch of churches out of the Reformation that did not, and they were called the Anabaptists. Anna is from a Greek word meaning again. And so these were people who were baptized into the Catholic Church as babies in the course of seeing the wrongs of the Catholic faith and church at that time, they started new churches like all the other wings of the Reformation, but they believed a rebaptism was necessary coming out of the Catholic Church, unlike most churches at the time. So Baptist theology came out of that and became really widespread so that many, many evangelical churches in America today are Baptist in their theology. But not baptizing babies is the new thing in terms of church history. The majority of Christians throughout most of church history have practiced infant baptism. There's another one which might be the biggest, one of the bigger ones. People who, uh, people look at that and they think that People who baptize babies assume the babies are saved or that, we, that people who baptize babies think that baptism saves the child. And that, that might be a common belief because it's, it's actually kind of close to what many people in the Catholic Church actually believe about baptism. That's why a priest, if a baby's about to die in a hospital, you know, even if they know within a few hours this baby is not going to live, a priest will come and baptize the baby. And um, in any church that baptizes babies, of course, there can be what we would call a presumption of salvation. But we do not believe that baptism saves. We don't assume regeneration or salvation just because someone has had water put on their head or because they've been immersed in By the way, our church doesn't make a big deal of immersion versus sprinkling. The main thing, water is used. That's that's all it's about for our church and other Reformed churches. We believe, just like so many other Christians, our Baptist brothers and sisters, that we need, from here, from Abrielle's baptism, she needs to be taught about Jesus so that she grows up and makes a personal commitment to him. And you know that if you've been around at faith for any time at all. That's what we preach. That's what we teach. In the church, we teach our children. We pray for them so that they'll respond to Jesus' love for them by making public profession of faith when they're older. But not only, only looking to that day, often when they're teenagers, but even before that, we're all looking for our children to be responding to Jesus' love in ways that would be appropriate to their age. How a 12-year-old responds to Jesus and his love and expresses that is different from younger kids. And Jonathan, our, our youth director, has a sense of that child development, and that's important to know, and we teach them in age-appropriate ways. And, you know, in our vacation Bible school that's coming up, we, we teach from God's Word, and we ask kids to make a commitment to Jesus. We do the same thing in children's church and cadets, our boys club, gems, our girls club, and Sunday school. It's about teaching Jesus so that respond. there's not an assumption of salvation. 
We don't believe baptism saves, but we do believe it is a sign that our children are in the covenant community and that they're members of the church even. Our children are members of this church. They're baptized members, not professing members yet, but they're absolutely, we consider our, our, our children members of the church. We don't think they're little pagans. We don't assume they're saved, but we don't treat them like little pagans. We treat them as, as covenant children. Once a pastor at dinner time uh, was praying that his three-year-old little boy would one day come and love Jesus. And after the prayer, the boy said, but daddy, don't you know, I love Jesus now. And that taught that father, it taught that pastor never to underestimate the faith of a little child. So we don't believe babies who are baptized are automatically saved. We don't act, act like that. But we do believe they're special, set apart, even holy, the Bible says. And, and even uh, people that don't agree with infant baptism know in their hearts there's something special about a baby born in a Christian family because they often will want their baby dedicated to the Lord. Uh, this is, we're up to number four. Um, there's seven altogether, just if you want to see where we're going. Doesn't the Bible, this is a question that comes up, doesn't the Bible put faith first, then baptism? You see that order. Isn't that true often in the Bible? At the end of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Mark 16, Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And in Peter's altar call that we read at the end of his sermon, he says, repent and be baptized. And this, this might be one of the bigger questions people have. There seems to be an indication that you need faith before you're baptized. But, but the question is, are these texts saying that in all cases of baptism, there has to be evidence of an active faith? If that's true, then we can't be having infant baptism because a baby does not have active faith. That little three-year-old could say he loves Jesus, but a, a baby doesn't have active faith. But we don't believe the Bible is saying and teaches that you need an active faith to be baptized. It's saying adults need to have that. The passage in Mark, that's Mark's telling of the Great Commission. It's referring to people who need to be evangelized. It's not really talking about infant baptism one way or the other. And we agree with that passage. It's exactly right. Believe and be baptized. We hope many people come to a saving knowledge of God in our midst and then are baptized as a result. And that baptism happens if someone was never baptized as a baby. If someone was baptized in a church as a baby, but then maybe after that their family never went to church much beyond that, or more importantly, they themselves strayed and then kind of had a, a calling back to the church. Well, in that situation, if they were baptized as a baby, kind of no matter what happened in between, we don't believe rebaptism is necessary. And it's because baptism is not really so much about the person. It's about God 
It's about what he does and his faithfulness. And we believe that any baptism done in the name of the triune God is valid and good because it's based in God. It's not based in, in any church, uh, whether they're, they're, they're great in their teaching or kind of messed up. It's not based in the person baptizing and the character of the pastor or the priest, doesn't matter. It, or it's, and it's not based in the person's faith or lack thereof. So these passages with that order, I believe they're talking about adults who need to be baptized. Something else that comes up uh, that I just want to deal with quickly is what about children, people ask. What about children who are baptized and then they grow up and they stray from the church and there's no evidence of faith? They're not, they aren't, they don't seem to be believers. What about, what about someone who's baptized? You know, doesn't that kind of throw a wrinkle into this whole infant baptism thing? Doesn't that reveal a problem? But the thing is, that's not just a problem for those who baptize infants. That's a, a problem, a mystery really, for all baptisms. It's also possible, and it happens, that those who are baptized l- later in life, at some point in the future, stop showing evidence of faith. Well, what about them? So that's a question, it's a mystery, it's a problem that applies to any baptism. And it's something, of course, that grieves our hearts. We pray in those situations that there'll be repentance, a turning to Jesus, especially when that that person is a loved one, a son or a daughter, a cousin or a brother or sister, grandson, granddaughter. Uh, It grieves us. And and we pray that there'd be turning to Jesus. But that question applies to adult baptisms, infant baptisms, either one. Something else, uh, there's two more. There is no specific example of a baby being baptized in the New Testament. And this is related to the first question, that there's no single Bible text that commands it. It's also true, we don't have any example of it happening. But the Bible does talk about households being baptized. And that's why I read that passage in Acts 16. Um, That was the Philippian jailer's household. And earlier in Acts 16, Lydia, her whole household was baptized. And it would be very unusual if neither one of those households included any children or babies. Especially if you dig into it a little bit and realize that household, oikos, meant more than the single family units that we often mean by household today. It meant everyone who lived in that household at, the t- at that time. And that could include siblings, their families, servants, their families. Usually children are in a household, especially the type of household that Acts 16 is talking about. But there's something else about this type of question um, if you think about it, there's also no example in the Bible of what the Baptists do. There's no verse 
Um, you know, th- there was not what we have, generations of families growing up in the church, the New Testament. It's the, the, the record of the missionary efforts of the apostles. So let me backtrack a little bit. There's no example in the Bible of what Baptists do. In other words, there is no example of a baby born in a Christian home and then later, as a teenager or adult, professing faith and being baptized. I'm pretty sure you're not going to find a single example of what a text of what the Baptists do. And, and that's the reason for that really is because this is a focus on the first generation or so of those who came after Jesus, the first generation of the church. We don't have what was what led up to us, generations and generations of of families growing up in the church. The New Testament, it's a historical record of the missionary efforts of the apostles. And the focus is on adults hearing the gospel for the first time and being saved and then being baptized just as Jesus commands. One more more thought here. Um, Sometimes I've heard people say, but I... But I wish I remembered my baptism, you know, like, like the Baptists do. That, that's such a the cool thing, and to celebrate that day um, and to remember it that, that, and feel that water. Um, well, if everything else we talked about is true, and again, I realize I haven't covered everything, and I'd be happy, Pastor Matthew would too, uh, to talk more about this with anybody. But if everything else that we've covered in the sermon is true, then, then to choose to be baptized as an adult just for the emotional experience, that doesn't seem too wise. And if you think about it, none of us remember our birth, thankfully. Um, we don't remember our birth, but yet the memory of our birth, it's still one of the most special days of the year for us, our birthday. With no memory of that day, it still defines us. We celebrate that day with great joy, and others around us do. Uh, the, the fact is that we can be reminded of our baptism at every baptism we see. At every baptism, there's renewed opportunity to own our baptism, to claim it, and to respond to God's grace with thanks and faith like we did today. And so I, I do think all the major questions about infant baptism can be answered biblically. And I think it's good for us to be reminded of that, all of us. Um, on this issue, I do really think there's a lot more that unites us rather than divides us from other Christians and other churches. We all believe in the absolute sovereignty of God in our salvation. We all know we can't save ourselves. We know none of us would ever on our own have come to a relationship with Jesus. It's all God's grace. All Bible-believing churches believe this and teach it and celebrate that. At the same time, We all know we're called to respond to the message of Jesus and his love. The Bible's clear on that. Each one of us has that choice to make, to follow Jesus or not. 
day by day, to give our lives to him or not. And my prayer is that you've done that. You've made that decision to give your life to Jesus, whether you're young or old, children or adults, whatever your age or situation or background, Jesus says to you, follow me, and we say, yes, Lord. I think we believe salvation works the same way, but I think between people with more of a Baptist theology, Baptist Uh, believers baptism only churches versus infant baptism and believers only we focus in different areas the way our angle the way we look at baptism is primarily seeing it as a sign and seal of god's initiative in our lives and in our salvation and that's one of the important dimensions of salvation right divine sovereignty. Baptists in baptism focus on people's response to God. And that's also an emphasis in Scripture, right? We're called to respond. Jesus says, follow me. We put that emphasis on our faith, our response in profession of faith. And so you could say we see baby dedications as kind of a dry baptism, Baptists see our profession of faith as kind of a dry baptism. The central meaning of baptism is beautiful. It's clear to anybody. I like the way our confessions put it. It's the promise of God that as surely as water washes away dirt from the body, so certainly Jesus' blood and spirit wash away all our sins. In other words, in baptism, we're pointed to and we're assured of God's saving love for his people. And I don't know about you, but I need that reminder of the promises of God and assurance all the time, again and again. And I'm grateful that we could have that today. Amen.